Um, so we started right in the middle of a story here of Peter arriving at a household filled with people completely different to him. Um, that can be quite an uncomfortable scenario and we're going to explore that meeting between Peter and Cornelius this morning and the impact it has on us personally, the principles we can apply. Before we do that, I just want to ask for God's help as we digest this. Father God, we ask today that we would see your heart in your mission. Uh, we ask that you would use this small moment of time just to change our thinking a little bit, just to shape us a little bit more so that we can be more like you and we can join you in what you're doing. So we thank you that your word is powerful and that you're with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So put yourself in Peter's shoes. Imagine you have walked into someone else's large house and it's full of people you don't know because the person you're meeting has invited all their family and all their friends and filled up the living room, the lounge room, the rumpus room, it's bursting at the seams and they're hanging out the sliding door and you walk in and they don't sound quite like you, they've got an accent maybe, uh, they don't look like you and you look around the room and it's decorated differently to your taste you're a minimalist kind of person, there's nothing in your walls, but in this place, ornate decorations and all sorts going on. How would you feel in this scenario? I think for all of us, it hits us a little bit different, depending on your personality. Now, my wife is, I'll give you a story on how not to do things, just in a small way. My wife has um, always said, she keeps an eye on me at social gatherings, because she says I'm never going to be appointed the Minister for Cultural uh, Relations. And recently, we were invited by a lovely couple from the church, a family. I'm going to tell a little story about them. Um, it's okay, because it's a lovely story. They invited us for a meal, and we shared it with them and their kids around the table. And they said, we want to share with you something that is dear to us. A, a dish that is dear to our hearts reminds us of home. And this particular couple, one of them been, been travelling and brought home an exotic, uh, to me it was anyway, an exotic imported cheese and said they'd done the correct thing through customs. I did ask that just to, so my conscience was clear. It was not smuggled in. It was not a smuggled cheese. And I was curious and I thought, oh, okay, I mean, they're European and my family's sort of European background-ish. We've been in Australia a long time. I should be fairly safe. And he said, the dish is called raclette and it is melted cheese on boiled potatoes. So it's a special type of cheese you've got to have. Um, I can't give away its origins. You can Google that word and you'll find out that I've said it wrong, but where it comes from. But what happened is um, you have a lovely little tiny barbecue thing that sits on the table and you've got these slides and you put large slices of cheese in the slide and it melts underneath while you're cooking a bit of prosciutto on top, I think it is. I call it bacon because I'm an Aussie bogan. But um, So the cheese melts underneath and then excitedly you pull the, the trays out and you can put your fresh melted cheese on. And I thought, well, I'm a man who loves cheese. Like I enjoy cooking an omelette. I'm a simple guy and I put two slices of cheese in. I get pretty exotic at home. I use all the eggs and cheese up. I can handle this. Um, what I didn't realise was that um, it's quite different. This dish, I found out that I was a cheese lightweight um, because the host and the kids were pulling tray after tray out and they were just diving into it and enjoying it. It's a slightly different cheese to what I'm used to, um, but still very nice. But the amount of cheese that's been consumed, I felt like I wasn't doing it justice. I felt, you know, slightly nervous that I was being rude because I, they were going for more and I'd, I'd had a few and I was saying, well, I think very full now already, thank you. Uh, and it's just a small picture that even in that setting of something that's not very different to me, and they've extended love, and it was a beautiful time. Um, but I was a bit awkward, and I, was a bit, I wasn't sure how to connect, and I wasn't sure when 
to, uh, when to bow out, whether I should just keep eating more cheese and be sick later on, or, or what I should do. Um, and so, but for Peter, it's a much more significant moment where the people are very different, and he's not there just to share a lovely meal of melted cheese and potatoes. We'll find out that he's been invited, and they come in and they say to him, tell us what God's got for us today. Imagine being that scenario. You've been invited in, and it's not just for a meal, it's tell us what God's got for us today. Tell us the message of God. And you have to ask yourself, why would you do that? It's okay, you know, we feel more comfortable when we're invited to someone's house and it's a meal shared together, even if that's a bit different, we're okay, we know it's friendly terms. But why would Peter put himself in this scenario where he's been invited into a house full of strangers and he's going to share boldly a message from God, the good news of Jesus? And for us, uh, really at the start of Missions Month, as we kick this off, you might ask yourself the same question. You might be sitting there thinking... Life is going okay at the moment, I'm very busy, I've got lots of things going on in my life, um, I'm an introvert, like, so maybe this doesn't apply to me, my, my safe space is at home on the couch in my trackies and my Uggs, like that's just me, um, so why would I get uncomfortable? Um, you might be thinking, isn't that for someone who's a missionary like Paul in the Bible, he's an expert? Um, and these are all good questions to ask. And so I think the first point we've got to start at in um, any time we look at missions is asking ourselves, why would we engage in missions? Why would we take part in missions? And so that's the first thing I'm going to do this morning is try and answer that question for us. I'm going to use the words of Peter. I think that's very instructive for us. By looking at what Peter says, we can understand why he would put himself in that situation. And we see that in the message he delivers to this group of strangers in this room. He says um, in verse 34 of our text in chapter 10, Peter opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So we immediately discover the good news is for all people everywhere to hear. And this is a recent revelation we're going to find out for Peter. Uh, but Peter says, I understand that, this is for everyone. He goes on to say, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, his Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. So Peter connects recent events for them, um, and Cornelius and his household would understand this. So it's a good news against this bleak and black background of um, social injustice, of even personal rebellion against God. So we're seeing uh, a broken world in Cornelius' time of Roman oppression on the Jews and the Jews squabbling amongst themselves about how to be right with God. And so what's evident here is that in amongst all of this, um, it's good news that's grounded in real history. And it starts with the real person of John the Baptist saying, there's something wrong, turn around, repent, there's something broken change course and he says look at Jesus. Peter goes on and he says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went about doing good and healing all were oppressed by the devil for God was with him and we're witnesses of all that he did. So it's good news also connected to the real historical person of Jesus and by his actions he demonstrated himself to be morally complete, morally perfect before God. 
always relying on the Father in prayer. He was a person who demonstrated miraculous powers as a sign that God the Father was with him. He was the Son of God in the special sense, the Son of Man as a reference to the book of Daniel. So he had quite a high view of himself because the book of Daniel describes that Son of Man as someone who's coming with God's authority to judge all people. But what happened in this story of good news? Well, it takes a dark turn. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, Peter goes on to say. But God raised him on the third day. So it's good news because despite Jesus coming and experiencing betrayal and insults, beatings and torture, and eventually death on a cross, it's good news because God the Father vindicates Jesus against his critics. The ones that have said, he's a crackpot, he's a son of a carpenter who knows nothing, He's just a guy with a Messiah complex. No, this is a sign through his death and then his resurrection that God says, this is the one to pay attention to. This is my son in whom I am pleased. So it's good news because Jesus is demonstrating not just agreeing with John that the world is broken, that we've rebelled, that there's injustice, but that Jesus has the power to set things right. And the resurrection is that first picture of that, of even death being wound back and so that restoration can come to all who believe in Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? So it's good news that was um, even made very clear to those around Jesus at the time. Because he goes on to say it was, it was given to us as a group of people to proclaim this. And Peter was one of those. This is why I'm here. Because Jesus has asked me to be an agent of change. Someone to share this same good news. So it's good news for the oppressed, it's good news for the afflicted and the beaten down, it's good for those that have been trodden on like dirt because Jesus will bring real, final and ultimate justice to each and every person. And we see that because in the message, part of what um, Peter says as he goes on to talk here, he says, this one, Jesus, he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. It's kind of mixed news really. So if you're the one who's received grave injustice, um, if you've been trodden down, this is great news because you know in this life, not everyone seems to get justice. But Jesus is appointed as the one who at the end of time will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. The flip side to that is that we also recognise in ourselves that we often use people in a transactional way for our own benefit. We'll oppress them in small ways. And so that sort of frightens us a little bit. We're a bit resistant now and depending on the degree to which you've taken part in this, your resistance is at that same level. So the good news um, is certainly with a side to it that says, oh, that applies to me personally too. I'm not just oppressed and afflicted and beaten down. I've taken part in this in the world around me. So this is, this is why Peter's here, because it's good news, because Jesus stands in your place, he takes on the rejection of God that you partake in, and he takes on the insults that you and I dish around to each other and add to this murky, broken world, and there's a promise that God will impart new life to us so that we might live differently, so that relationships with each other can be healed, so that relationship with God can be restored. And I think um, it's worth reading, um, just, just quickly, the why of God 
from John chapter 3, because this explains it equally well. John 3.16, some of you will know this, but the whole section here is great. For God so loved the world, this is the reason why God so loved the world, what did He do? That He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So we see that the two sides of the coin, there's acceptance with God through Jesus, but for those that don't, they are condemned already, they need to be judged, because God is a God of justice, as well as a God of great love. So that's why Peter's in the house. That's why he's gone further than eating just a meal slightly out of his comfort zone. That's why he's sharing a news with people in the room he doesn't know that are very different. And it's worth just taking a moment here and saying, this is from John we see, this is not Peter's mission, this is God's mission that he's taking part on. Um, That's what Peter's recognising. There's something there for us, isn't there? It's only through the work of God through the prophets, through John then proclaiming that Jesus is coming, then Jesus showing up. So Peter knows he's a small dot, an important dot, but he's a small dot on the timeline of God's history of what he's doing. This is God's mission. That's worth highlighting throughout this. And for many people in history, they've understood that it's exciting. It's an adventure to take part on mission with God even though it does entail discomfort at times. It does entail an unknown element. One of those persons you might have heard of is a, uh, a man named Jim Elliott from the 1950s. Um, he's a person of our recent, recent missionary history as Protestant Christians. And this is one of his amazing quotes. Listen to this. Surely those who know the great passionate heart of Jehovah must deny their own loves to share in the expression of his. And Jim really lived that out. He was really passionate. He discovered about a group of people called the uh, Huranari Indians. I've said that wrong. It's called the Orca Indians too. But what we find, just really in brief, that on January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott and a bunch of his friends who were on mission with him were speared to death on a sandbar called Palm Beach in Ecuador, and they were trying to reach these Indians for the first time in history with the good news of Jesus. So Jim really lived those words out. That's a life of discomfort, of uprooting your life, going somewhere, and then having your life cut short as you try and reach people with the good news of Jesus. So Jim Elliott knew the heart of God. He knew it was God's mission, and he knew the purpose of God's mission. So I understood why he would make himself uncomfortable to join God, because God is the one who's made himself more than uncomfortable for us, in sending himself to live with us, to suffer with us, and then eventually die for us, so that we might be reconciled to God, we might be reconnected to him, and better to each other. That is the good news, that's the why of what we're here to listen about this month, and we see it in Peter's message. Three things come out of that, I think, from our story today. Uh, Three attitudes that we can adopt more and more fully as God shapes us, even as we've heard This, we know that it's great if you've experienced that change that God brings in your life. You know the work's not yet finished. There's still areas of your life where we're using other people up. We're not 
as God would want us. So there's three attitudes that we can learn from Peter and from Cornelius. And the first of those attitudes is an attitude of humility towards those different to us. So let's just jump back to the start of the story about how this meeting takes place. Um, So what we find is... I've jumped a page ahead, that's what we find. Um, So what we find is, that's the second attitude. And the first attitude I skipped and didn't tell you is that we must have a flexible attitude to God's timing and methods and location on His mission. We must have a flexible attitude. So Peter is one of those early people in the history of the church. He's an apostle, he's known Jesus. He's probably in a bit of a rhythm now, but things have really been tipped on their head for him recently. At the start of the church gathering together, Jesus has told them, wait and you'll receive my spirit. And that's when you'll join me on my mission, when you're empowered by my spirit. And they've seen some amazing things take place. Um, They've seen mass conversions, people hearing the good news of Jesus and people coming to faith in Jesus. They've also experienced pushback and setback. Um, Peter himself has already been imprisoned once overnight, at least one time, as people resist the message, those that don't want to hear about Jesus. And, but by now, perhaps he's in a bit of a holding pattern. He understands he needs God in his life, he understands God's doing amazing things and he's the power of the Spirit. But Peter is, we find him in Joppa, in the sea city there, the sea town. He's staying with Simon the Tanner and he's going about his normal routine and it's before lunchtime, he wants to pray. And so he goes up to pray and we're told that he's met with this disturbing vision as he is sleeping. He's drifted off to sleep. It's okay, apparently, to sleep um, as you've been praying. So Peter nods off. He's interrupted. A great white sheet is lowered down from heaven to him. And in that sheet is a vast menagerie of animals of all sorts. And it's kind of, think Cleveland Wildlife Park in a sheet. That's what Peter's seeing. There's probably noises in his dream. There's bleating and squawking, all sorts of action. And a voice comes to him from heaven and says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter knows the sheets from heaven and he knows the voices from heaven. He knows it's a message from God. And he protests here. He's not ready for this level of flexible attitude. He says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean or impure. So Peter doesn't really know what God's getting at yet, but he knows God's doing something different right now. This is a disturbing vision. And it happens three times because Peter protests. So the sheet of animals comes barring and bleating and squawking down. And Peter says, no, surely not God. Those are unclean animals. I can't eat those. And um, man, he's, he's shaken by this dream. What we find is God is moving in Peter's life to effect change in him as he is on mission. Um, we also find that someone who's seeking God, a man named Cornelius, has also had God intervene in his life. Cornelius is a religious person who's practicing some of the ways of the Jewish people in praying regularly and in giving to the poor. So he's trying to follow God as best he knows how without the full information. He's got a heart for that. Um, But what Peter doesn't know is he's about to meet some of these people. So he's protesting with God um, as he's having this vision. And so he wakes up and he's confused and dazed 
and there's a knock at the door. And I like this part, because you can have a vision, but like Peter, but you still don't know what it means. There's a knock at the door, there's a call at the door for Peter. It's three people asking for Peter, saying, come to see us. And God speaks again to Peter and says, this is what the dream means. It means it's time for you to set aside some of those traditional religious practices you've had as a Jew in your eating practices. It's time to move past that and mingle with people who don't eat the same way, who don't speak the same way, and share the good news with them. So that's what happens. God brings two groups of people together. Cornelius has been practicing um, the religion of the Jews as best he can. He's also had an interaction with God. We see God at very much at work in the mission here. God sends a, an angelic messenger to Cornelius. And he says to him, um, send for Peter. Send for Peter. And he's obedient to that. He sends his men a day's journey away um, from Caesarea, about 45 kilometers away, sends his three men down. And that's in God's timing when they first meet. So Peter's really been shaken up. He needs to have a flexible attitude to God's timing, methods and location. Um, And I think that applies to us too. Sometimes we get in a holding pattern of how we're doing things. We need to be open that God might want to kickstart something new in our lives or our church community with people we hadn't yet considered. And it might be a little bit uncomfortable for us um, because we're not quite sure how to relate. Or we're not sure if we've got time for that interaction. We've got to have a flexible attitude. I really appreciated one of our elders writing in a recent newsletter about their battle with this and how there was a bit of conversation between him and his wife, I'm dobbing someone in here, but it's in a public newsletter if you signed up. This is what you get in a newsletter, you've got to sign up. Um, and the elder was very honest about his battle with this conflict because it, you have to be flexible and he was feeling inflexible because there was a conversation, shall we invite some of your relatives? And he was like, oh, that's not always a great idea. It's just this tension and the morning doesn't go as great, you know. And, and so he was brought around um, through the conversation with his wife to say, okay, yeah, I need to put myself aside. And he did that. And I really appreciate the honesty that we're all going through those moments where we don't have time or it's not the right people. Peter's showing us we must have a flexible attitude on mission. The second thing we need is a, um, an attitude of humility to those different to us. And just briefly, uh, for Peter, this is a big deal. So for Jewish practitioners of religion, they're following the law of Moses in trying to be right with God. And eating certain foods was a, a way that God had set forward for them to demonstrate um, things that are clean and not clean, things that allow us to draw near to God in this sort of... Um, metaphorical, picturesque way. Let me sort of read to you what it means for them, just through an excerpt um, that the Bible Project puts together really briefly. So this, this is a concept to do with two key concepts, holiness and commonness are two sides of a coin, and then purity versus impurity. So something or someone can be holy, and God is the ultimate holy one. Uh, because to be holy, that means, it's a Bible word, to mean all that is good, all that is light, beautiful, all that is goodness and life. So, God is holy. The Bible Project explains holiness has to do with proximity to God. The Hebrew word for holy is kadosh, and it can describe a person, place or thing that's been brought into proximity with Yahweh. 
Holiness refers to the unique, one-of-a-kind status of Yahweh, who is the source of all life, goodness, beauty and light. And Yahweh's generous, he wants to share his own life with others, so God creates another to share in his life. So we're common and God is holy and God wants us to be brought together to be holy. For something common to share with God and His holiness, it must be consecrated. That which is common must be made pure so that it can come and share in God's presence. And purity and purity, purity and impurity are two categories for those common things. You can be impure and not come close to God or pure. So foods were a way of showing this very practically for the Jewish people. Um, it's similar to how a person can be sick or healthy. So God made the, um, it clear to them they should um, observe food laws as a way to understand this. And there are all sorts of um, sort of, you can read in Leviticus, the whole list of things that this entails. Your, your animals that you eat had to um, be of, of certain hoof, um, they had to be chewers of the cud. If you want to eat f- uh, fish, it must be scaled and finned. So there's a whole lot of things that are ruled out for Peter. Um, but he now must adopt a different attitude because God is shifting the way he's dealing with people. He meets these people that are very different to him. So um, it's worth noting that we need a flexibility of attitude, we need a humility in our attitude. And what's the result when Peter does this? Well, as Brony wrote, read out in our text, Peter's astounded as to the results. He knows this is God's mission because people are changed. The Holy Spirit comes on this household and they accept the word with gladness and they demonstrate that God is with them through the speaking of tongues in this case. And Peter says, surely we can't hold back. We have to baptise them in. We have to accept them into the community of believers. So we've got to have a flexible attitude, a humble attitude about what God might be doing. And lastly, and probably most importantly, you'll notice that Peter is actually met by God in his routine of prayer. So lastly, we need to have an attitude of dependence of God which shows up in prayer. And it can be prayer together and prayer on our own. And it's interesting that even Cornelius was praying at the time God speaks to him. So both for Cornelius and Peter, prayer is used so that God can change their plans. I think this is really key for us because I think to properly recognise that we're joining God on his mission and what he's doing, it needs us to be empowered by God. It needs us to depend on him in prayer so that we might change, so that we might be willing to become more uncomfortable, to expend energy where we didn't want to before. Um, it's not a coincidence that it's the regular routine prayer time of Peter that God speaks to him. I think that speaks to us for a need to be regular and routine in prayer with God. Sometimes it's not always the lightning bolt moments, but when we give God opportunity to speak, the more we can do that, I think the greater chance we're giving for God to show up in our lives. And that's kind of the idea behind our two or more prayer groups in the workplace. Work gets busy, why not set aside some time in the work week with other workers to pray? So you can get back on focus. I'm not just here to do the checklist of things, 
I've got to get done, the tasks and all those important things. I've got to have the mind of God as I go about it, that I demonstrate God's love in the way I do my work, but I'm ready to answer for the hope I have, for the faith in Jesus. So dependence on prayer is of vital importance. And all those things that we can have, a flexible attitude um, to our timing and our location and our methods that God might ask us to take part in, our humble attitude as we mingle with people that are very different to us, and that's very much the case in our families, but even in our workplaces, and also that attitude of dependence on God through prayer. All those start to really come together for us when we understand why God is on his mission, the heart of God. That's what we have to come to grips with. And then these attitudes will grow in us as we draw closer to God, as he continues to work in us. So I'm going to leave you with something to think about as we wrap up. Uh, maybe you're exploring faith here this morning, you've come to investigate what Jesus is all about. I hope this morning, in my imperfect way, you've seen some of the heart of God as he invites you into relationship with him through Jesus. He's not come to condemn you, he's come that you might have life for all those that believe on Jesus. So if you've still got questions about that, ask someone around you today that looks friendly, I'm sure they'll direct you or help you think about that. If you are a Christian, I would challenge you, start praying this week till next week, maybe once a day, maybe it's the lunchtime hour for you. Set time to pray for someone you know at the moment that God has already been putting in the back of your head to say, I'd love to share Jesus with them. Maybe you could do it like Peter, three times a day, if, that's, if you really want to go the whole challenge here and set aside around the mealtime or set a timer. Give God more chances. But it, Maybe at least once. Some of you here today, maybe you don't have someone in mind because you haven't been thinking this way. That's okay too. Use the time once a day or three times a day if you can to ask God to give you someone. Ask God to be on his mission. God, who is it for me that I might have a chance to demonstrate God's love to? Who is it that I might get a chance to share this exciting news of Jesus with? So that's a challenge for you. And hopefully... Like Jim Elliot, we might say a prayer something like this as we close. Jim Elliot said this, Lord, make my way prosperous, not that I achieve high station, but that my life might be an exhibit to the value of knowing God. Thank you.